I'm Marius. I'm Maite. I'm Matt. I'm Jordan. I'm Justin. I'm Peyton. And, and this is Comics First. Is this anyone's first time reading House of M? No. Mm-hmm. No. It was this anyone's second time reading it? Yes, technically second all the way through. Second all the way through? Yeah. Okay, so what were your thoughts the second time reading it? What changed from the first time you read it to the second time? It was a lot sadder than I remember. I thought this was more than your second time. Well, but but like the first two times I just read it, was just reading it through just to read it. This was like now that I knew we're having an actual discussion, I was actually taking it in. So this is not literally your second time. It's metaphorically your second time. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Being the Spider-Man fanboy I am, I was like this. This stuff is rough for Spidey. So what changed from you from the first two times reading it to right now? I think because the first time I was reading it was when I was really just getting into comics and I was just going through the event stories just to sort of be on the same page with the Marvel Universe. But now, like, looking at it and have, seeing all the the larger implications and consequences of this book, like, having read New Avengers, I know where all the, like, the bad guy from whatever the arc was comes from because it's where all the mutant powers go at the end of House of M. I don't read X-Men, so I don't know what the the problems there were, but I'm sure there were many <laughs> When you said you don't read X-Men, I had a flashback to Game of Thrones when Daenerys was in one of those like weird cities and then she killed the slave boy and then all the other slaves were like, do you remember that part? No, and nor do I see what the connection is. Uh, you just said you just said something I didn't like and I wanted to hiss at you. <laughs> I wanted it to be in context. I, I didn't want people listening to be like, has Justin developed some sort of feline obsession where he's now hissing at me? Anyway. A lot of people read comics for the first time and House of M is their first comic. So do you think, was this a good jumping on point for you? As a jumping on point? Uh, yeah, because it it's sort of at a spot where the, the new Avengers were still new. So there's that. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know what was going on with the X-Men prior to this because I know there's like, like Xavier isn't talking with them. Storm's not there for some reason. I don't know. Should we so, fill him in? Yeah. Does anyone else know besides me? I'm sure Peyton, I'm sure you know. Deadly Genesis? I have never read that, actually. Oh, my God. I'm so excited because you're totally going to read it after because that's so good. So basically what happened right before this, just to give some context for the X-Men, is that apparently Cyclops has a third brother, his younger brother, and Xavier wiped all memory from him because he was on a second team of X-Men that was constituted before Storm and Colossus and all those people. So um, the real second team of X-Men died trying to kill Krakoa, the island, and Xavier wiped it from the memory, and he wiped the memory of Cyclops ever meeting his brother. And um, his brother, Vulcan, ended up surviving with the help of Darwin, who we all know from the comics who can evolve. Ironically, Darwin survived on an island in the middle of space because he can evolve. So anyway, so he comes back, and then basically the youngest brother is all fucked up because he was ripped from the womb of Cyclops and Havoc's mom, and um, he wants revenge on the X-Men and he's really mad and that happened right before as well as Astonishing X-Men with Joss Whedon. So Jean died and blah blah blah. Cyclops with Emma. Bam. Right. Okay. And that makes the X-Men hate Xavier because he kept all this from them. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, you wouldn't like if like you had a little sister. Oh, no. And no. you do have a little sister. No, I have an older sister. Okay, pretend you had a little sister because right. it's better if we have a pretend person. Sure. And she applied at comics first and she came here and she died and I just wiped it from your memory. <laughs> like that would be really fucked up. So I just wanted to be clear. Oh. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Third time reading it for anyone. Yeah, I think this was probably my third time reading it. And I mean, I think I paid a little more attention to Emma's character just because I'm a huge Emma Frost fan now, much more than I was when I first read it and the second time I read it. And especially kind of comparing it to Firestar, um, which I had just recently read too. She's just a completely different kind of person from then to now. And like seeing that growth is just crazy. I always said I always thought she had the most organic change from villain to antihero um, in X-Men comics that I read at least. For sure, for sure. Yeah, especially seeing her with like Layla throughout House of M. It's kind of like a mother, like weird mother-daughter relationship, which is kind of different, especially when you read like Firestar and you're looking at her relationship with most of her students, Hellions in the past. Um, but yeah, I really thought that was interesting to see how she reacted with uh, Layla. So maybe not in Firestar specifically, but in terms of old Emma Frost, and we see this very caring maternal figure to Layla when she was a villain did you ever see hints of who she would become she was really good at faking it I think sometimes I mean I think she did care about her students in a way she just didn't know how to express that love yet I mean because she had such a hard upbringing herself I mean in her origin story her dad just ruined her she just didn't really know how to express love to someone or act like a parental figure. And I think being in at Xavier's that definitely showed her how to do that. I agree. Every time we talk, you, we switch off on liking Jean or Emma Moore. So now you just made me, Oh, we'll get back to Jean. We'll get back to Jean. It's okay. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> uh, Marius, how about you? I think like the first time I read it was actually more to get into like the X-Men and the Avengers canon that was relevant at the time in the, I guess in the Marvel comics universe. Um, it was, pretty early on when I wasn't very much filled in on the canon. Now rereading re this after like having read it a couple times already, uh, I think what changed is that now I approached it more from the point of view that we usually do at comics first because the first time or the first few times I read it wasn't was before I joined Comics Wars. And now I guess seeing it under this paradigm of we actually want to find out like what is each character's like inherent like need or each character's um, biggest wish for their life. I, I guess that made it really interesting to look at. And also in terms of like the ramifications of what happened since in X-Men comics, but also for uh, Brian Michael Bendis as a creator, I guess this um, it was fun to, to take another look at. So did you think this was a good jumping on point for you? Um, yeah, I think so. I read some X-Men stuff prior to that. Um, and I was kind of um, confused as to how exactly the the events in House of M uh, had taken place. So it was good to to go back and reread that. It's certainly um, a big paradigm shift, I guess, in comics, which is always fun to to jump in on for new readers. So more than four or five times is Jordan and Maite. Oh no, this is my second time. Oh, oh my God, Maite, we skipped you at number two. It's okay. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if you were like going in order, but I, I can talk about it now. Uh, I'm going to lie and say I wasn't. This is all part of my genius. I believe that. 
Yeah, so um, this is my second time reading it, and I've been reading Saladin Ahmed's Quicksilver series that is has been running um, since, I think, early this year. So going into House of M the second time, I kind of read it with uh, that lens of, uh, you know, Saladin Ahmed's perspective on Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch's relationship. So um, I know the later issues are much more attuned to their relationship and kind of dig deep into Wait, that. Wait, what's that perspective? I mean, I guess it's kind of the more obvious... Um, they're kind of dependent on each other. And I mean, in that series alone, Quicksilver is very much dependent on her presence in his life. He's kind of going through this. um, He's almost like stuck in this dimension by himself. So he's just constantly running, constantly fighting these um, monstrous beings by himself. But the only thing that's kind of getting him through is um, Scarlet Witch's like omnipresence throughout the series. So kind of going into that, and if you i guess the first time i read it i hadn't really read much about quicksilver and scarlet witch prior to house of m and this was like a few years ago um so kind of having that background knowledge of um their relationship going into house of m made it a lot more interesting and kind of made you sympathize with quicksilver a little bit more than you know the first time coming into it i really didn't understand like the depth of their relationship so um i think reading it a second time after i had read other x-men stuff was really helpful. So kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier about having this story be a jumping off point. I think it's pretty beneficial if you do have some background knowledge of the characters. It just kind of gave me more context to work with than if, you know, going into the first time, not really having that background knowledge. And Jordan, what number were you at? Two also. Oh, you know, once my taste said that, I thought I remembered you saying that as well. But first of all, two questions about that. Number one, why did you choose this comic for us to do on this podcast? And since this was the second time you read it, what was something that changed for you? I chose this partially because Maite and I have been talking about it for a very long time. Partially because I kind of love Scarlet Witch, even though she goes like crazy. But I love her character and she's super underrated i think for the most part and especially at cv we don't talk about her here that much in general even though we talk about the x-men a lot and i feel like the connection is very strong so that's mostly why i chose to have us read house of m and kind of go from there and reading it for the second time well i've always kind of not been an x-men person just because I don't have a reason. I just have it. So kind of being able to be here and talk to all of you X-Men people and kind of know a bit more and reading Firestar and kind of seeing like Emma Frost and all of those characters and understanding definitely what's going on between all of them is a lot easier for me to understand this time around and kind of understand like, oh, that's the relationship between like Emma and Scott and all of that that's going on there and seeing her as the mentor role as Peyton was talking about earlier and then kind of also juxtaposing that with what happens in Firestar. It just kind of gave me a new way to look at things and a new way to see it and understand what's going on. Do you think that this was the biggest Marvel crossover event in the the mid 2000s in terms of impact on the future? I don't know because there is also Civil War, Secret Invasion, all the all, pretty much all the, the early 2000 Bendis stuff. Yeah. Although Civil War was Mark Miller. Well, I will say I'm not necessarily talking about how it impacted the X-Men, but how having only 198 X-Men, whether that's a symbolic number or actual number, how that impacted the entire Marvel Universe. Because there were mutants on Avengers teams. There were mutants on, um, you know, in the New Warriors. Firestar was a mutant. Yes, she was in the Avengers, but she was also um, a New Warrior before that. In that sense, I kind of wanted to ask about 
the lasting impact it had on the stories. But if you're saying that you don't think so, that Civil War was, I think that's like an extremely valid response. Yeah, I think I agree as well, because I think that um, in terms of just the impact on X-Men books themselves, that House of M has been uh, a lot more significant. But if we're talking about the, the Marvel Universe in general, I think that a lot of stories went unaffected by House of M just because most of the characters that we would care about outside of X-Men books um, either didn't lose their power, so it doesn't really change a lot for them in, in these individual titles, um, or they got back their powers at some point, like Quicksilver did, right? It seems that they all got their powers back. Well, yeah, none of them, yeah, like Mary said, none of them lost them, really. Quicksilver got his power back from the Terrigen Mists. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Thank but you. now he's also not a mutant, so I'm not sure if that counts. Yes. Well, that's just in the movies, I thought, that he's not a mutant. No, he's been retconned from here, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's And because the, they're not Magneto's children. Yeah. Yeah, because they yeah. wanted it to match up with the movie. Yeah. Okay, new question. Jordan, what makes you like this story so much? Or, is, or did you not choose it because you liked it so much you chose it because you thought it'd be good to dissect? I think both is the correct answer there. Obviously, it's good to dissect. There's so much going on and so much that connects it to other stuff in the future. I also like the story. I don't really know. I think, like I said before, I like Emma and her mentor role. I kind of like seeing the alternate realities that all of them would have lived in. I think that's a fun little almost what if type story idea to just kind of see what would have happened if things hadn't happened the way everyone knew it went down. So I guess it's mostly because of that. Did you guys learn anything about the characters when we found out what they really wanted and what their ideal life was? Like, did you feel like it informed what you knew about them? Kind of. I mean, for me, like looking at all the Spider-Man stuff is a real eye opener. Cause like, I think one of, one of the biggest things for Spider-Man is how his guilt always weighs so heavily on him and how that's sort of informed how he grew into being a hero. But then you take all of that away, like Uncle Ben is still alive, he's married to Gwen Stacy because she's still alive, uh, he's got a child, like all of that, it really, it, it throws a whole different perspective to the character. And then seeing him just totally break down during the main story when it's like, oh yeah, all this is fake, you're real, like your real life is in this other reality and it's just, and oh man, that stuff, that stuff gets me. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that completely. Um, and I also think that um, with some of the Spider-Man books that have been, I'm not sure if they've been coming, around, uh, coming out around that time or maybe a bit later. But uh, for instance, there was this one storyline where um, he was introduced to an alternate universe, Uncle Ben, I think. Um, so we did see like some glimpses at like how would Peter react if, um, if some of the people that he felt guilty about having more or less killed as Spider-Man um, came back to life and he had the opportunity to talk to them again. But I don't think it's been, it's ever been as poignant and as extreme as in the House of the main book because we see him um, basically in this, for him, in a very utopian world where he's relieved of all the guilt and um, he has all the people he loves with him. Um, and then seeing how this really pushed him over the edge and uh, seeing Spider-Man talk about uh, wanting to murder someone and just this blind rage, I think, is um, is something that has only been um, used very sparingly in comics, which I, I really like. And I think it makes these moments uh, even more impactful. I've, yeah, I think it really worked. I think it's also a great handling of his character in the sense of a 
event book because normally if Spider-Man is ever in an event story, he's just there for really for comedic relief and not much else. He was he was big in Civil War and he's pretty big in this. He's not he's not exactly pivotal to the story, but he gets a pretty solid arc that really works well with his character, I think, and I'm I'm happy that Bendis did that. I mean, okay, I'm not a Spidey fan and I don't know if I totally agree. I mean, I agree that he's not used for comedic effect, but also I'm really tired of him and Uncle Ben. Like, that has just been overplayed so much. I'm way more interested in him and Gwen Stacy and MJ and, like, that whole storyline because everyone knows that he feels guilty about Uncle Ben dying, and we don't need to rehash that over and over and over again. So that's where I stand on the Spidey. The second time reading it, I, like, low-key kind of just skimmed the alternate reality stuff because I kind of wanted to get to, like, the action and, like, the climax of the story. Like, not that I, like, skipped it completely, but I was kind of like, okay, like, they have these different lives, like, what they wish their life could have been. And it's, like, obviously, like, gonna go back to how everything was and be tragic again. So, for me, it's, like, if you think about it, it's, like, kind of a depressing story because they all go back to the realities that we all know and then on top of that it's like everything goes to shit you know because then like you know the no more mutants line they like all the mutants disappear and then the ending of the story is so depressing but for me like i think that's kind of that kind of made it better just because it's like not at least the first time reading it like that's not what you would expect and like at least for me like like i said before going into house of them i hadn't really read a lot of x-men before that or even avengers before that so reading that for the first time i was like oh my god like what just happened like that's just how it ended so second time going into it i was like yeah this is gonna be really depressing to read once again but it's really really good it's like jessica drew says when they're about to go fight magneto and the whole house of m she's like like should it don't we deserve this or is this like this is how mutants become the dominant species and maybe that's okay but of course, Wolverine's like, no, you're going to be really embarrassed one day that you said that. And yeah, like, cause it's, yeah, they, they present that moral question. Like, should they fix this? Like everyone was happy here pretty much. Yeah. The humans were basically dying off as implied by the Hank McCoy, Henry Pym conversation, but still like, oops, everyone, like pretty much everyone's happy. Everyone's like got a good thing going, but and well then you go back to like would that have been the same result if they had killed scarlet witch like they had planned to in the beginning of the story you know it's just we don't know okay if if they killed scarlet witch god only knows what would have happened it probably would have like destroyed the world like she's so powerful <laughs> like it, i don't even know what would have happened like <laughs> i just feel like there's no actual like happy alternative yeah that's true i don't blame the x-men for wanting to um kill her immediately really without talking because like they've been through so much with jean gray and storm and polaris and everyone lost their shit so many times you know i have a question no I, well I, okay this is what i wanted to ask Baite that would have other people um expand on is don't you feel that the really emotional moments in the beginning and the end of the book really anchored the story. Cause otherwise for me, it was like pure action. No, for sure. No, like I said, like the second time reading it, it kind of was like, you know, issue one. I'm like, Oh, I'm so into this. And then the middle, I was kind of like, okay, like flipping through the pages, kind of get to like, you know, the big fight scenes and the big climax where Scarlet, which, you know, says no more mutants and stuff. So um, yeah, without the beginning and the end, I mean, that sounds really redundant. So 
like without those moments in the first issue and then, the, you know, the big twist at the end, I think that's really what makes this so memorable. I don't know. Because the whole, I feel like a big part of the book is showing you what these characters all want. And then when that's sort of, when it's all revealed, like this is all a lie and how they react, I think that's a big part of it as well. But you, that, you don't get that from really the beginning or the end. You just, that's just the story playing out. Yeah, for me, I didn't really resonate with those parts, no? like emotionally, as much as I did with Alice, the beginning and the end. And like at the end, when you see Scarlet Witch playing with her children. I will say like the Scarlet Witch stuff is, is probably the most powerful stuff where in the beginning, she's like giving birth but then charles just comes in like yeah no stop it quit screwing around you don't have kids and then at the end where it's all it all just blows up again those those were really like uh, i don't know it was sad okay but going back to the alternate realities i mean we already know how i feel about spider-man but i think the one <laughs> that really got me i don't feel bad tell us again I tell us again <laughs> The one that really got me was Jessica Jones and Scott Lang. They just like call their voicemail. And so they weren't even involved in this story, but you still found out that it was affecting other people. And you still kind of see how that played into that, even though they weren't here and you didn't really know what was going on. But like that part, I think was interesting. Is that who it is? It's because I know it says Scott, but I was wondering if it was just like, oh, it's just a name drop oh, in I it's supposed to it be scott lang, scott lang. I, I just assume that because they're all superheroes and like it kind of oh. makes sense yeah fair enough all right i wanted to ask peyton and marius some, a question because we often have the same taste in comics but i totally cried at the end of this yeah, yeah i think pretty emotional ending with scarlet witch for sure and with just emma and all the been kind of like hearing that like no more mutants and somehow knowing exactly what that means and like the effects it is super emotional it was right and marius what about you yeah i think for me it wasn't as much like a crying moment but more like a um like a goosebumps moment because i i just thought that the the few pages leading up to the no more mutants moment were absolutely perfectly uh perfectly orchestrated and i think this um it's it's one of the biggest moments in comics for me absolutely I think for me, when she says we're freaks, and I remember when I read that for the first time and I kind of broke down, it was so sad because it's what people were telling her her entire life. And she's like, it's true. Like uh, it, it was watching someone give in to all the discrimination they've ever faced. And it was like super upsetting and a total statement of how she feels about herself. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I feel like um, rereading Firestar kind of reminded me of that scene as well, which is what, what you mentioned kind of the, the moment where where people break down and kind of give into everything they've been told for years and years and it's it's really um it's it it, it hits home i think the scarlet witch solo series is so important to read after this i think because it really shows her kind of like becoming more confident in her abilities and not just like controlling them better but also just learning more about her history and who she is and not being ashamed of you know being who she is I don't know if anyone else has read that, but it's amazing. I was going to say, is that the recent one that they did starting with the all new, all different Marvel stuff? Yeah, the newest one that just came out. 2015, I think it came out. Yeah, I was debating giving that a look. I might, ha I might have to now. It's pretty good. I really enjoyed it. But I think if 
you've read House of M, you should definitely read the Children's Crusade, Avengers Children's Crusade. Um, but after that, the Scarlet Witch series is perfect to examine her character post House of M. Again, not big into X-Men, but I'd say if there's any one member I'd gravitate towards reading, it's probably Wolverine. And I really enjoyed his whole arc through this story and seeing him having like those moments where, yeah, I don't remember like three quarters of my life because I've been mind wiped so many times. But then at the end, it's like he remembers it all. I don't know how much that was. Ex- I'm sure that was explored in the in the Wolver- in whatever Wolverine solo series or the other X-Men books that came after but I, I wish i got more of that just from house of m like in the aftermath i mean like that that last page of him sitting up in the grass and like i remember my whole life it was a really good one but my question is about that is is everyone happy that wolverine found out about his past because i had mixed emotions about it because on the one hand i well i was happy for him but i liked the drama of his misery of not knowing you know and it's kind of like with joker you don't really want to know I don't really want to know who Joker but is. I think it works to the the point you make where all the X-Men have been through so much shit that it, it's almost like it's it's well-deserved for him, I think, to have some clarity on his life and who he is. Even though he's he's like assembled this idea of who he is currently, like he's just this sort of just a killer. He's made peace with that and not much else. Then again, I don't really know that much Wolverine, so I'm sure there's more to it than that, but... That's the basic gist I see when I read Wolverine stuff, like if he's in relation with like Avengers or something. But um, from what I gather, I I think it's very rewarding for his character to get that clarity. Yeah, I think if they were going to do it, I think the execution had to be excellent. And I think it was in House of M. And I really like the the in-canon explanation of why he would get his memories back. Um, I think it was it was handled tastefully. So I'm fine with it mostly. Maite, what was your favorite character arc in this? I mean, it's hard to say favorite because if I say I liked Scarlet Witch's arc, you know, I wouldn't say it's my favorite because it's so darn depressing. Um, but rereading it this time, I actually really like Doctor Strange's role, um, especially toward in the last issue when he's kind of infiltrating Scarlet Witch's space and getting to know the root of all like this reality altering experience that everyone's going through and figuring out that it was Quicksilver. Um, I just really liked his approach to the, to her. I found it to be really sincere and genuine because, you know, you had all these Avengers talking about, Oh, we need to kill her. We need to end this. And everyone was kind of coming out, coming at it. And just, I don't want to say aggressive ways, but just maybe not the most, um, sympathetic to her but uh, i think dr strange kind of inverted that and kind of went about it in his own direction and he actually understood her pain and understood um how she was feeling about herself and just how tragic that perception of herself was so i really enjoyed his role in it and that was something i really did not notice the first time around because i was so focused on the x-men and the main characters so it might be an unpopular opinion but i really like dr strange's role and because also back then doctor like no one knew doctor strange back then i feel like now with the movies and everything now he's he's so much bigger now i re- i read anything with doctor strange and i'm like yes give me because he's because he's so cool he can do so much cool stuff he is cool what did you think about the moments when he was inside wanda's head did you feel like those were telling in terms of wanda's character i did oh yeah 
yeah, I definitely think it was telling of her character. It kind of just revealed where she was at. And I think, I mean, the scene was just really telling. I think it was also telling about Quicksilver, obviously, because it revealed that he was kind of the cause of all this madness. Um, But I mean, I think that's why I'm so much more inclined towards the beginning and the end of the story is because of moments like that. where you kind of have it kind of breaks from those big climactic action sequences and those you know the sequences where it's like oh my god like exploring this alternate reality it kind of like was really intimate and focused on these two characters and kind of dug into um the psyche of scarlet witch and i really like that um so for me that was just, it was a really transformative moment in the series as a whole um and it really breaks the you know the chaos of the action and um all again, like all these alternate realities and such. Did everyone find both Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver to be sympathetic figures? Uh, Scarlet Witch, yes. Quicksilver, no. He comes off as. I understand his, like the dependency he and Scarlet Witch share for each other, and that's good. That shows they have a strong, like, familial relationship. I like that, but part of it also seems selfish in his case i wonder like he takes this relationship with his sister too seriously to the point that he'd be willing to all like completely flip the world upside down just for her and i wonder how much of it is just for her and if it's like where his own desire comes into play no, I, I agree with most of that. I mean, I sympathize with him. I do. And obviously with Scarlet Witch, um, especially like I said before, through the lens of Saladin Ahmed's new series. But when you do see him like convincing her to bend reality, it does come across as kind of manipulative. So with that being said, you know, you, you kind of wonder, you know, what are his intentions? Um, you know, kind of using her to just alter everything. So, you know, uh, obviously there's multiple multiple interpretations he can take on that um i mean i bottom line i do sympathize with the both of them um but with quicksilver i do think he does kind of he does kind of come across as manipulative and maybe self-seeking i think he does that a lot i mean he tried to get her to side with him in civil war the second civil war um so i think he's always just kind of that domineering brother but I think it just comes naturally for him because he had so many years where he had to kind of be her everything. So I do kind of still see it as sympathetic. Like he just wants whatever is best for her. Like he's behind it. Um, and this was kind of, they, he was literally at like the last end. She was going to die. He had to do something. But do you think that was definitely in his mind what was best for her? Or was that also what was best for him? Or does that not matter? Was it still selfless? Well, at the same time, he knows that she needs him. So he has to be around too. And he has to be his best self too. So this whole like Royal family thing, it's, I mean, it's extremely like prideful and kind of disgusting, but I think he just wanted this like idyllic family life that he and she had never had. They both wanted that. And he knew that they would be happy together in this life. Oh yeah. I think going off what all of you said about him um, having kind of this manipulative aspect to him, um, I think this actually ties pretty well into one of the big themes of the book, which I thought was um, kind of people mistreating their family members or people who mean a lot to them because of their grand ideas. I think we see that with Magneto, obviously him talking about how he 
he regrets having um, sacrificed his family's well-being for his um, his dream of, of mutant domination. Uh, but then also with with Quicksilver, I think um, in the scene where he talks to one about how she should change the world for the better, he talks about how they deserve to be a family. They deserve to be happy after everything they've gone through. It's kind of his um, his grand idea of them being a family, but also being the mightiest family on the planet, it turns out, in the actual House of M world. So, um, yeah, I think this is um, this definitely ties into this as well is um wonder being manipulated by him um because of these uh well not exclusively because of these big ideals but i think it ties it ties into it as well and i think that's actually what makes um the payoff so satisfying is to see her frustration with um being used as a tool and then obviously her like complete self-hatred and hatred for for her people for for mutant kind for all these concepts that um yeah, I guess her her brother and um, especially Magneto have been have been fighting over, and then seeing how it actually ends up tearing her family apart. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what really um, sold this book for me in the end. Is House of M in a way about a woman who and she says this, and or I forget if she says it or if Pietro says it. But she never has a chance to live a normal life because of the trauma she endured from essentially being fucked up from her dad. How much of that truth is in House of M? I don't feel like she's still living a normal life in House of M anyway. So I don't know if that's really something she wants. I guess she like wants the kids and like that's quote unquote normal, but... It's still not like a normal life. There's still the royal family. There's still all that type of aspect too. Do you think, but but she's not there, right? Like that's a, she's really with the kids in some other room is what my understanding was. Yeah, but yeah. assumedly like she still has responsibilities and she can't escape that always. Oh shit. I thought she had like a double doing it. I think she did. I think she yeah. has like a human double who like poses as her all day. Yeah, the whole, the whole disguise is that uh, Wanda is actually the human child of Magneto and that there's this this uh, facsimile version of her walking around when she has to make an appearance but the real Wanda yeah is off in another room somewhere with the kids because she never she is like yeah she never leaves them alone I guess they're always playing or Jordan, something. I Jordan I think that that still proves that your point is valid because it's still not a normal life because it's not healthy for anyone to just lock themselves in a room and raise their two kids when they or their children don't have access to the outside world. I think what she wants, what she needs as a, I think what she needs as a person is safety and to be taken care of and to take care of someone. And I think for me, that's what kind of came across there, but I'd love to hear your guys thoughts on that. I mean, I also feel like that idea of normalcy is something that we've discussed on other podcasts. I mean, most recently, the Vision one, and just how it's almost an ideal that doesn't exist, especially in the realm of superheroes, because they want basically what will never actually be attainable. Because even in this ideal world, like Jordan said, that that reality one is existing, it's not normal at all. Like locking yourself in a room all day, that's not normal. Normalcy doesn't actually... It's, a, it's an ideal, and it's, I think it's something... It's defined by... I don't even know if it's defined by society or by what people perceive normalcy to be, but it's just not 
especially in the context of the story and the superheroes as a whole, it's just not real. Definitely a society thing. I would say I agree with that. And I think also it says a lot about her that that's what she wants her normal to be like so far away. And that's what I kind of find heartbreaking about her character and so tragic about her. Did everyone get the feels from her storyline as much as I did? Because I'm assuming that it moved everyone as much. as I mean, I was so moved by it. I, I really enjoy along with the all the Doctor Strange stuff, like the the moment where Hawkeye walks in the room and is like is almost ready to kill her because he because he really like he I don't know if he ever really went through the whole memory uh, revival stuff that uh, everyone else goes through. But it in that moment, it seems like he did because he remembers what happened during Avengers disassembled where she basically killed him and he's like he's tearing up ready to fire an arrow at her. But then he dies again. So which really begs the question why he came back to life. But who cares? I love Clint Barton. So any reason to get him back is okay in my book. I thought that was a powerful moment, though, when she made him disappear. Oh, yeah. And that scene in particular, I, I was absolutely getting goosebumps when he told her how he would kill for her, which is kind of, again, tying back to the Avengers disassembled stuff and just the like the raw emotion of this is actually like a really, um, like a, a really important member of the Avengers team and an important friend for so many of them uh, and and important lover in this case. So um, made it even more emotional, I guess, to to witness what would like kind of happen based on her mutant abilities, which then of course tied back into like her kind of self-hatred about this. I, I thought it was actually, um, yeah, one of the best scenes in the book. For me, the No More Mutants line is just so powerful, especially reading it again and knowing it's coming. And like the way she prefaces it with saying like, daddy, you know, it's it's so it like really tugs at the heartstrings. And then just to like follow that with all this catastrophe, it's just mind blowing. And to know that's just kind of how everything ends. It's, it's insane. It's so interesting to me, too, that she didn't say dad or father or whatever she calls him or Eric. She says daddy, like a little kid, you know, and, and it was the child in her that did that. You know, she's almost like a child throughout the whole thing in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I just thought that was so heartbreaking. I think some superheroes with that much power, they kind of can handle it. They're like ready and they're like they're a superhero and they love doing this. Like I look at like Cyclops and Emma just like taking on the world by storm. That is not Scarlet Witch. Like she just doesn't know what to do with this power. She doesn't really want it. She's just all over the place. And I feel like in this, uh, the last issue, particularly, you really just see that that's what it, that's what's happening. She's like, I'm just tired of this. I never wanted this. Like, this is the worst thing that could happen to me is having these powers. And I think that's really, especially in this reality, she doesn't have powers or no one thinks she does. They think that she's human. That really speaks volumes that like who she really wants to be is someone who is human. Yeah. She doesn't want to be someone who she doesn't want to be a mutant. She doesn't want to be a superhero. She just wants to be a normal lady raising her kids. And that is so, I think that's really relatable for like so many of our own problems is stuff, you know, that we were like, we've been handed this and some people think it's great, whatever, but maybe you don't want it for whatever reason. And it just builds up and builds up and you finally have a breakdown. And she never had the choice. Definitely. She never had any choice. And it's kind of ruined her whole life. I mean, from the beginning, 
um, when they kind of kicked her and Pietra out because of her hex powers. Um, it's it's really ruined her whole life. I don't want to follow that up because I think Peyton had the best answer and I don't think I can top that. Uh, but on top of that, I also kind of think everyone already got the good answers and stole mine. So basically everyone succinctly put it all together into what I think makes Scarlet Witch as a whole in this. So emotional and emotionally driven and also allows readers the chance to connect with her because obviously not all of us are like grown women wanting children but at the same time like Peyton said there are things that have been given to us or not even given kind of like shoved onto us that we kind of have to deal with and you see how she deals with it which may not be how we all want to deal with it but you know sometimes temper tantrums are good Except in this case. Wait, so did everyone empathize with that specific fact? About being handed things you're, that are too much for you or that you didn't want? For sure. I think that's what made it the most emotional for me. That definitely like struck home. Same. I, I, well, I want to ask without getting too personal or maybe if you feel comfortable, but whether it was something within you or you were empathizing how someone else could be, what did you sort of see in into it what did you divine into the storyline that crosses over into real life i guess is what i'm asking i mean obviously for me um i thought about being queer i thought about uh, my relationship with my parents i love my parents deeply but we often uh, even recently we've had arguments that were so similar to that and i remember when i read this for the first time and he says that line about them never having had a chance that that was something that I said to my parents like so many times and I felt so it was eerily right on for me so I could definitely see other things like Jordan brought up a really good point like being forced to follow this quote-unquote normal with what also Maite was saying life and have to get married and you know maybe you don't want that maybe that's not the life that you want responsibility forced upon you that you don't want yeah it's it's a yeah i think the general idea is easy for most people to grasp onto yeah i think it's also important that she's kind of surrounded by all these other superheroes who are keeping it together really well who are like captain america and iron man and then there's her and she's just like barely holding it together and i feel like we also can like sympathize with that because we're surrounded by people who seem to be holding it together a lot better than we are but can you argue that Captain America and Iron Man were people that chose this and she was someone who had it forced on her. Totally. I definitely, I mean, Iron Man for sure. I mean, this is all on him. Um, Vision, maybe that's why she had such a close connection with him because he really didn't have a choice. Um, but yeah, a lot of them definitely do. She needs to hang out with the X-Men more. She does. I say she crosses over. I'm just, just saying. But also, Peyton, you brought up such a good point, which is her relationship with Quicksilver. And after hearing, you know, you guys opine on that, I thought of how much it makes sense that they're so close with one another because they really had no one else. So uh, the incestual undertones that are overtones in the ultimate versions of the character, I always found that kind of, I don't want to say cool. Oh, cool, they're having incest. Not that. But I always found it, like, interesting because it, it made sense. 
I agree. Uh, a lot of people don't agree and they get really angry about it. But I think it honestly really makes sense with their characters. Hate it, love it, whatever you want. But it does kind of make sense. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to you don't have to like incest uh, to like Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think it was absolutely <laughs> consequential. But does it have to be specifically incest? Like, couldn't it be like really close, like almost a best friend type relationship? Like it that was only type in, like, of like a couple issues of Ultimates. They just tossed it. <laughs> I didn't read the Ultimates, so I yeah. Don't know can what... you can you like fill me in on that? Well, because it, it was yeah. literally like I think it's one issue, and then she dies. Oh, that so... they have incest. Yeah, they're in like they're in like a relationship, and Captain America's like, "What is this? I don't understand." <laughs> <laughs> It's really because well, I know I read like when um, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen were like preparing for their roles. They like talked about how they had to like play with that idea. And when they were like going into their portrayal of the characters in Age of Ultron. So that was like always in the back of my head when I like read it. I didn't actually know that that was like a thing. So yeah, that was definitely the overtones. Now. But I think there's undertones in a lot of their scenes just in their normal comics. You can kind of read into it if you so choose is anyone gonna love her as much as quicksilver will because i know that that's a weird question to ask but like you know i'm getting old i have to get married i'm like you know what even if i get married no one will love me as much as my parents do and in her case she had quicksilver so i wonder if that's a concern for her yeah i think it also helps that they both had kind of like failed romances like they've both been married and divorced so they kind of like came back together and were like well we're kind of each other's like best friends like that's that's who we're most connected to in this entire world. Are we connecting so this to like when people have a marriage pact? Like that's that's what I'm getting out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I think like I think it goes back to their dependence on each other, but that now and I always thought like maybe it was a little bit toxic, you know, but they are each other's one constant throughout their lives, like despite all their failed relationships and all the tragedies they've experienced, like they've always been in it together in a way. So I don't know if that might, but might not be the healthiest relationship, but you know, I think that's up to interpretation. Well, no, isn't the idea that you grow up and you get older and then you attach to someone who isn't in your family. Yeah. And like you form other relationships outside of your family. Like you move out of your home, right. you know, you don't stay there till you're like, you know, old and gray. Well, Marius, what did you see in terms of house of M being a real life story that has a real life crossover? I don't, I don't think I ever saw it under that paradigm, to be honest. I have this um, sometimes with X-Men comics, where obviously I think they're um, relatable in many ways. Um, but I have it with X-Men comics where I feel like reading about the characters is more like reading about a friend or like um, getting to know what a friend is up to. Um, I can imagine this character, like I, this is something that we've been talking about very often, like being able to imagine this character sitting next to you in a room. Um, and I, I very much feel like that with so many characters from X-Men books. But then it's it's just only a, a few books where I feel like I, I actually like identify or relate to like one character in particular. And I, I feel like I had a, a similar reading experience with House of M because um, like I guess getting into the book, I really was interested in exploring okay, this is a very extreme situation that all these characters that I guess I know from other comics are being put into, like, how is it going to play out? Which is what I was most interested in. And I guess, like, I, I never, um, I never, like, took the extra step to, like, relate um, any of the character arcs to, like, my own, 
like in real life experience, but you like talking about, um, your experience with, with queerness and, um, obviously this as being, uh, potentially metaphorical for these, um, issues. Yeah. I guess thinking about it more, it does seem like something I could relate to. Um, it just didn't uh, instantaneously happen. Uh, I guess it's all. I definitely saw a lot of things now that I didn't originally see, especially after everyone uh, put in their two cents, especially what Maite said about Quicksilver and what Peyton said about Scarlet Witch. Because after I was kind of upset with Scarlet Witch with that series, I didn't read it. And the reason why I didn't read it was because she was like, fine. And I was like, what? You can't just go fucking nuts and then be fine two days later. Like, you know what I'm saying? But now I'm like, okay, I didn't, I need to like give it a chance. Um, and you know, I, I, I always had that issue. Like spider woman, she's like the most pissed off person in the world when she comes back from secret invasion. Next thing you know, she wants to have a kid. The woman I know would not want to bring a baby into that world. Okay. She went, she was like a fucking alcoholic, like, you know, hanging out in Madripoor, like doing drugs. The next thing you know, she's like, Oh, let's, let's, let's bring a baby into this beautiful world. So that kind of stuff confuses me. However, um, I did, <laughs> did put a new light on uh, what I think about the characters. Um, but yeah, it, uh, you know, going off of what you were saying, Marius, it's like people who are different, her just listening and accepting and giving in to what all these bigots have been saying. Um, I don't know. I, that, again, I know I said that before, but that's kind of what I found so heartbreaking. I do feel like we should talk about Emma and Scott because it seems like everyone besides Matt and Jordan want to talk about them. I mean, I'll talk about them too. I have thoughts. I just don't want to go first because I'm like the least educated X-Men person here. So my thoughts. I don't know about that. I, I think I, I might beat you for that role. It's not that you really guys aren't educated. It's that you hate the X-Men. It's different. I don't hate the X-Men. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Anyway, back to Emma and Scott. Peyton, you said you paid a lot more attention to Emma this time, especially, you know, after reading Firestar, reading about her as a villain and kind of seeing her in this. So talk to me about what you liked about her character, what you noticed about it. I thought it was really interesting, um, the kind of picture-perfect life that she had with Scott. Um, it's pretty much the life that she lives in X-Men The End, if anyone's read that. Kind of like li married life with Scott, which I thought was really oh, cool. Oh, yes. I read that. I you read just that. said Marius's favorite words. It's kind words. of cool. It's like, no, this is like literally what could happen, I guess. Like, maybe. Um, but I also thought it was kind of cool how when they both found out that they were married, they were so disgusted. They were like, what? We're married? And I'm like yes like y'all have been dating forever like <laughs> yeah i mean that part was like the least surprising for me but i also just recently read um whatever x-men run that was where scott and emma have their psychic oh the grand morrison run. fair new, yes, new x-men oh yes so good Oh yeah, so this, I th I think this is shortly after New X Men. It, it must have been like um, somewhere during the the Astonishing X Men run by Joss Whedon. Yeah, that's. I yeah. feel like that's where their relationship started to really take like leaps and bounds. Was during that run. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I, I guess what I really enjoyed about this book is um, getting to see um, their relationship play out in, in their like uh, quasi marriage in this alternate world uh, while being in this kind of like phase of like uncertainty in the early relationship because in the um in the just reading run on a stone shanks man there's a lot of uh like intrigue that happened with her and uh, with the after effects of like having um having interacted with uh cassandra nova um amongst other things so um 
yeah, I think them solidifying their, their relationship was, was a really important part of that. So I, I like to see um, uh, Bendis' take on on this in the alternate universe. And then on the other hand, I, I was kind of um, taken by surprise because um, like, I, I don't know how you feel about this, Justin, but sometimes like I, I think many people, what many people associate with Scott is just him like whining about his dead ex-wife. Um, and I guess like, for, I feel like for some people it would have been really um, intuitive to see uh, in the House of M world to see Gene back alive and happy with him because that's uh, that might have been one of his biggest wishes. So initially I was kind of surprised um, by by the fact that he was married to Emma, but now that I think about it more, it's also very indicative of um, how he's changed as a person in the in the last few years. Um, yeah, no, and no, I, I really like it now. I, I think so. I think he was over Gene at this point. Yeah, he must have been. I think he was like, I don't mean to be a dick, but I'm kind of, I need a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And, I mean, I, I think it's questionable to an extent if he's ever like 100% over Gene. I, I don't think so personally, but. Who is your go to character in this House of M thing? Spider Man. <laughs> uh, wow, no. That's Matt's though. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of want to say Hawkeye, even though he's like not really in here. But I, I kind of feel so bad for him. And also, I love him. So there's that. If, if it's of any consolation, he was dead the whole time. I know. He like, d- yeah, I know. I also just read Mockingbird and he's in that one and has like that whole relationship going on there. So anyway, um, but other than that, I honestly... I don't know if I have a go-to character. There's a whole bunch of X-Men and they're never my go-to characters. So, <laughs> yeah. What did you think of the fact that the X-Men wanted to kill her pretty much immediately? Well, Scott Summers is in charge, so it's not surprising. Yep. Uh, Scott and Emma. Let's and be honest. Logan. Emma, Emma was I mean, fucking in charge of that shit like she should be. Yeah, it's, it's Scott, Emma, and Logan are all like, yeah, kill her. But thank God we've got the Avengers because they all like, nah, that's mean. She's one of us. Don't do it. Okay, but like they still could have killed her. Not that I want no. them to, but they could have just been like, sorry, as, sniper. As Captain like, America says, there's always another way. I guess what just kind of bugs me is that, and this I guess this ties it back into like a lot of ethical discussions that me and Justin had like in regards to comics, um, is that um, I'm, I'm kind of bugged by the fact that the amount of mutants um, that died uh, in the aftermath of House of M because like in a lot of uh, the tie books they go into how um, there are people who lost their powers and in consequence uh, of that um, they like died in a volcano or something like th- that would be one example um, but I guess I'm I'm a bit concerned with um, like I, I guess just the amount of casualties that could have been prevented um, were the event the attitude of the Avengers a bit more uh, a bit different and it, it kind of makes me wonder if they value mutant life only if it belongs sort of to their team and then of course that has been um explored with characters like captain america in uh, avengers vs x-men a lot that's such a great point i think emma says to captain america and not in this i think it's in civil war and the x-men crossover she's like well where were you when genosha happened Oh yeah, and, and I think that um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that um, Scott says something very similar to Iron Man at some point as well. So I think um, 
like the attitudes of of these characters are, are certainly sometimes questionable i think and then of course it, it sheds uh like having read um avengers versus x-men and then the uncanny avengers stuff after that by rick remander i think just like rereading house of m and then getting into the uh, the attitudes of people like captain america makes it really interesting so marius talk more about that ethical dilemma because it's a really good point because isn't it like kant versus singer again isn't it utilitarian versus kantism again oh yeah i guess just like briefly going over this a lot of uh, our listeners or maybe of uh, the other people on the podcast might be familiar with this already i think this is a really good example for the trolley problem which is of course like an ethical dilemma where you are standing next to a set of uh, uh, train tracks and there's a trolley heading towards one set of tracks where uh, five people are being tied up to and you can't really you can't really free them from the tracks. so all you can do is um divert the trolley um using a lever to to get the trolley onto another set of tracks uh, tracks where only one person is being tied up to so um yeah i guess just the question of whether um like actively killing someone is permissible if it saves a higher amount of lives and then of course that's that i think is very relevant um and then i guess the the different um the different notions that you could have about this is like either like the the side of the consequentialists or utilitarians where you say okay we are going to take a look at the results and that's what's what kind of matters in terms of um deciding whether this is ethical and one result is clearly preferable to the other um, and then the other side of the coin would be like a deontologist or like a Kantian who would, uh, or, or Kantian, I guess, um, who would um, argue that it's not the consequence of the action that makes it wrong or right, but it's the action itself as something inherent to the action that's right or wrong. So we shouldn't be murdering, but it's okay to let others die, I guess. So that's, yeah, that's just kind of the, the dilemma in that situation. What do you think is the right is there a right thing to do to you guys in that situation? I think I'm in the, I'm on the Avengers side, basically like, no, I don't entertain the thought of killing that person. And in their defense, they, in the context of house of M, the Avengers didn't know that the whole house of M thing, that that would be the consequence. None of them could have guessed what the consequences of keeping her alive would be because her powers are so sporadic and random there's no way to really say what what's she going to do if we don't kill her. Marius, would you have made the utilitarian choice in this? Would you have chosen the utilitarian option in this dilemma? Yes, I think so. Um, I guess like going off was what has been like argued against this. I think um, I think it's safe to assume that um, her powers, uh, the way that her powers manifest, would have had like some amount of casualties as a cause. Um, because when they were talking about the powers, they were um, they were essentially unsure whether this could be like a global catastrophe, and they already had suffocated through situations where like a lot of heroes actually died as a direct consequence of what uh, of what her powers did. And more or less, like back then in Avengers Disassembled, it ended like the Avengers as we knew them, and then of course like. Um, spawned like a new era with the new Avengers. I think that it's, um, there's a fair argument to make that um, even though we don't know with 100% precision what would have happened with her powers, that there would have been some amount of like disastrous consequences. Um, so I think that like an argument that I understand is that um, 
it is um or that i would agree with is that it's it's safer to to keep the situation kind of like under control with her living in uh genosha and uh xavier trying to to calm her down but it's safer to do that than just like go into the offensive and um like risk escalating the situation more than it already had. So I think yeah, that's a that's a fair case to be made there. But I, again, that's like a, that too is a consequentialist argument. So I, I guess it's just um, I guess I'm just really like consequentialist in nature. So I don't um, I don't really agree with um, with arguments against like just like the inherent like wrongness of killing in these kinds of situations, just because of the the vastness of like what the implications could be for the entire world and i think that yeah i think that should be um for me to be convinced otherwise that would someone would have to make a strong case about how um the act of killing is a lot worse than or like um a billion times worse than the act of letting die which i think um would have been like one of the inevitable consequences all right what about the rest of you guys what would you guys have done i don't necessarily know what i would have done admittedly i feel more aligned with the x-men's point of view than the avengers point of view but i almost wonder if they could have just been like scarlet witch kill yourself like they didn't kill her. i was thinking that too i mean it's better than being like, well, someone has to shoot her down or no, that's assist- that, that wouldn't that'd be assisted suicide okay she didn't really want to live anyway didn't she have that line where she was like, is it bad that I'm so cowardly that I won't just kill myself? Didn't she say that? Oh, that's yeah. so heartbreaking. <laughs> Which totally reminds me of Jean. Like, that's that's such yeah. like a Dark Phoenix line. Ugh. Oh, like we said earlier, there's like no way to know the alternative there's of no good either way. decision. There's no good way to so, handle this. Exactly. It's just like seriously an impossible position. And I think back to, we just talked about Kingdom Come and, uh, I think it was this God, what was it? Oh yeah, it was like is part of being a hero considering that anyone is capable of like reformation. And I mean, I don't know if that was in the realm of possibilities for Scarlet Witch, since it was kind of inherent in her powers, but I don't know, because then you consider that because like is it heroic to kill a person despite the consequences? So I don't know. Depends on your definition of hero exactly why you're killing them exactly but then it's like but then it's all subjective right so well there's no it's also yeah yeah Yeah, exactly well i mean i was just thinking of actually the phoenix in song um where wolverine kills gene like 20 times in a row or something um and obviously that's where they're coming from i mean they're all thinking about well this is just what we have to do like it sucks but this is another Jean and you know we have to get rid of her um i don't know what i would have i mean if they had killed her she would have come back in like a year so she would really be dead um (laughs) do you ever really kill anybody no and not for nothing but she could have killed herself so painlessly also like okay uh, sorry i almost said something really shallow which is like if that happened to me i would just be like uh make me really hot and then i would be like i'm definitely not going back now to the real world um (laughs) anyway but Let's sorry get the infinity stones yeah. and just be done no with that's it. too much power i don't even yeah, i don't, I don't want the much. power that's i just want i just i just want some, i just want some affection you know what i'm saying um okay but back to but honestly what peyton said made me think of something so important which is 
what does it say about her character that she couldn't do what Jean did? And what does it say about Jean's character that she did it without hesitation? And I think that that speaks to good writing because in a way, this is the dark Scarlet Witch saga. Just like Dark Angel Saga is the Dark Angel Saga, just like Dark Phoenix Saga is the Dark Phoenix Saga. What do you think, Marius? I'm not sure because um, I think it speaks to like a big part of the Dark Phoenix Saga were like Jean's moments of absolute clarity. And I think the moment that she decided to to end her own life was one of them. I'm not sure to what extent um, Scarlet Witch got those moments in um, in kind of her own saga because like most of the the moments where she seemed more reflected about her situation were also like her talking to a family member or, to, or talking to Xavier, who are, um, I guess, like to an extent, like um, trying or maybe I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that um, Xavier was trying to manipulate her, but it, it, as we have explored, it could be the case with with Quicksilver, or it is the case with Quicksilver. So I, I guess she didn't get that moment of absolute um, like autonomy and uh, like determination and um, like heroism, and instead she she got like a lot of moments of like absolute um, like mental breakdown, complete um, exhaustion from from what she suffered through. I think it's very strong, but in a very different kind of way, which. Which is because I didn't really think of this as analogous to the Dark Angel saga and the Dark Phoenix saga. Um, yeah, these are, and then the the Dark Angel saga is pretty different as well, I think. But it's good that it's not a it's not a rehash of that storyline in any way for me. Although, if you're talking about moments of like clarity or something like that, I would say that's her. That's Wanda's whole moment of we're mutants, we're freaks, like no more just done i think that that's her quote-unquote epiphany to me personally that's one of the best lines in all comics because there's so much weight behind it and then not 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 just in the phrase itself but then what actually goes along with it yeah no i i thought it was really good writing so okay to close up recommend house of m yes or no and why jordan go i mean obviously i'm the one who suggested we do it right now so yes read it everyone should read it um why it's a good story. You get a look at Scarlet Witch more in depth and impacted other X-Men comics. I liked it. Read it. I tell you, why do you like it? Uh, I like how this is going to sound so weird. I like how dark it is. I just like how unexpected everything why unfolds. Why is that weird? It's sad and sad makes you feel. I know. Well, people are like, oh, you like dark stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but it's interesting. You know, but I think, yeah. Um, but I think I would recommend kind of getting to know some of the main characters before reading it to see you get a better sense and it makes more of an impact emotionally. Peyton, what about you? I would definitely recommend it. Um, if you're an X-Men fan, then I think it's a great way to get a more in-depth look at some characters. Emma, Frost, definitely. Um, also, the illustrations are beautiful. Oh, Olivier Capel, yeah. The illustrations, especially that first scene with Wanda giving birth to the twins is one of the most like emotional creations in comics I've ever seen. Absolutely. Marius, what about you? Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, um, it's beautifully illustrated. I would recommend this to anyone who's interested in comic books that explore interesting concepts that, um, have beautiful character work and absolutely iconic moments. Um, 
I would recommend this to any X-Men fan and then, of course, any Avengers fan, or just anyone who's interested in Marvel Comics, really, because it's uh, this is a classic, um, absolutely. And then maybe, um, like, I, I'm not sure if there's a lot of people like that out there, but I, I feel like a, a lot of people reading comics nowadays are really um, disillusioned with um, Brian Michael Bendis. And I think sometimes for like reasons that uh, can be argued are legitimate, but I, I don't think we should forget that the guy has written so many um, incredible pieces of uh, incredible works. And this is one of them, I guess um, it's a good one to, to look back on. Okay. What, what about you? Oh, uh, absolutely recommend this story for sure. It's, it's part of Bendis's whole, 2000s handling of like the Marvel universe. Um, I will agree with, I think uh, Maite and Peyton said like it, it would help. I think to know your other Marvel characters going into this one, know some other backstory, but at the same time there, it does handle the story does handle itself in a way that it actually does fill in some blanks. Like you don't know why the Avenger, uh, I'm sorry, the X-Men and Charles Xavier are on bad terms. But you know that's a thing. So you know this getting back together is is a big moment. So, um, But the story itself does handle its, itself well because even as you've got this whole crazy scenario going on, you get a lot of the characters involved. You get a lot of a lot of background on them. You look into you get you really get a deep dive into what do they all really want and then what are they were what is it worth fighting for? Um, and it's just a really, it's a really good emotional story. Uh, like Mike, they said, it's dark. It's, it's very depressing at times, but that's okay. Sometimes stories have to do that. If you want to deliver that kind of, I guess, thematic flair and it's, it's handled very well. So yeah. yeah, I thought this comic had a great balance between action and real emotion and Scarlet Witch's emotional bottom, so to speak. Um, I thought it had some of the most beautiful dialogue. I thought it had some of the greatest ideas. And I would recommend it. I, I think I want to recommend it for people who want to get into X-Men because I do feel like from this starting point until Avengers versus X-Men is, a, is really the Bendis. Um, it's like that half of the... It's like the X-Men era. half of yeah. that. Yeah. The, the Bendis era. And it's the X-Men half of the story. So yeah. I, I would recommend it for that. But... Um, yeah, I think that's going to do it. So thanks, everybody, for listening and stuff like that. 